I'm going to be reading Isaiah chapter 7, if you would like to turn there and read uh, with, along with me. In the days of Ahaz, the son of Jotham, son of Uzziah, king of Judah, Rezin, the king of Syria, and Pekah, the son of Remuliah, the king of Israel, came up to Jerusalem to wage war against it, but could not yet mount an attack against it. When the house of David was told, Syria is in a league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz, and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the wind. And the Lord said to Isaiah, go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jesseb, your son, at the end of the conduit of the upper pool on the highway to the washer's field. And say to him, be careful, be quiet. Do not fear and do not let your heart be faint because of these two smoldering stumps of firebrands at the fierce anger of Rezin in Syria and the son of Remuliah. Because Syria with Ephraim and the son of Remuliah has devised evil against you saying, let us go up against Judah and terrify it. Let us conquer it for ourselves and set up the son of Tabeel as king in the midst of, of it. Thus saying to the Lord, or thus says the Lord, it shall not stand, it shall not come to pass. For the head of Syria is Damascus, and the head of Damascus is Rezin. And within 65 years, Ephraim will be shattered from being a people. And the, held, and the head of Ephraim is Samaria, and the head of Samaria is the son of Remuliah. And if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz, ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord a test, to the test. And he said, hear then, O house of David, it is too little for you to, to weary men that you weary my God also. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel. He shall eat curds and honey when he knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good. For before the boy knows how to refuse the evil and choose the good, the land whose two kings you dread will be deserted. The Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the days that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And that day the Lord will whistle for the fly that is at the end of the stream of Egypt and for the bee that is in the land of Assyria. And they will come and settle in steep ravines and in the clefts of the rocks and on all of the thorn bushes and on all of the pastures. And that day the Lord will, sh will shave with a razor that is hired beyond the river with the king of Assyria, the head and the hair of the feet and will sweep away the beard also. In that day, a man will keep alive a young cow and two sheep. And because of the abundance of milk that they will give, he will eat curds for everyone for everyone who is left in the land will eat curds and honey. In that day, every place where there used to be a thousand vines worth a thousand shekels of silver will become briars and thorns. With bow and arrows, a man will, con will come there for all the land will be briars and thorns. And as for all of the hills that used to be hoed with the hoe, you will not come there for fear of briars and thorns, but they will become a place where cattle are let loose and where sheep tread. That is the word of the Lord. Would you pray with me? 
Father God, as we come before you this morning, we are so thankful for your word. And specifically, we're thankful that you have preserved this passage from Isaiah chapter 7 for us this morning. So, Father, as we often pray, we would ask that you would give us eyes to see your word clearly, ears to hear it, and minds to understand it. And we ask that you would use it in and among us this morning, and it's in your name that we pray. Amen. I wonder if you or someone you know, maybe a son, daughter, brother, sister, or friend, at some point has collected sports trading cards. Now, I realize that I think due to technology, they're not as popular today as they used to be. And I know that today, children and teens trade all kinds of different cards other than athletic cards. However, I was thinking about these this week and thinking about how simple they are, right? On the front is usually a picture of an athlete. I don't currently own any trading cards, so I asked someone and they gave me a Michael Jordan one to use as a prop this morning. We see Michael Jordan on the front. He's an athlete who usually the front of the card, the person is doing something cool, like throwing a football, about to dunk a basketball, or about to hit a home run. But on the back of the trading card is usually some information about the person and then statistics of how they performed on the field. Now, although they're even uh, going down in popularity today, I was curious how much trading cards go for. So I've driven up and down uh, 224 probably thousands of times, but I've never stopped at the sports trading card store that's across from the mall. So yesterday I called them, I told them I was working on a project, and I was curious what was the most, how much was the most expensive card they had, and what was the least expensive card that they had. They said the least expensive card is you could go in with a $1 bill and you could get a trading card. But if it was an athlete of fame, they have cards in there worth $3,000. $3,000 for a piece of cardboard with a picture on the front and statistics on the back. That if I took this Michael Jordan card out of this case, I could rip apart very quickly. However, there is value to these because people want them. Now, as we think about our text this morning, we start where the Bible starts in Isaiah chapter 7, verse 1. The first few words say, in the days of Ahaz. Now, I don't know about you, but there are some Old Testament characters that a lot of us seem to know about. Abraham, Moses, Noah, Jonah. But when we come across some of these names here, which are some of them hard to pronounce, we come across Ahaz, Ahaz is someone that we don't really know a lot about. If he was on a trading card, we obviously don't know what he would look like on the front because he existed long before photography existed. However, there's a parallel text to Isaiah 7. It's 2 Kings 16, and you don't need to turn there, but in 2 Kings 16, we learn a little bit about King Ahaz and it's information that if he was on a trading card, it would go on the back of the trading card. And this is what we learn about King Ahaz from 2 Kings 16. It's fascinating. It says, Ahaz was 20 years old when he began to reign, and he reigned 16 years in Jerusalem. Now just think about that for a second. When you were 20 years old being king of God's people, and he did not do what was right in the eyes of the Lord his God, as his father David had done. 
but he walked in the way of the kings of Israel. He even burned his son as an offering according to the despicable practices of the nations whom the Lord drove out before the people of Israel. And he sacrificed and made offerings on the high places and on the hills and under every green tree. In other words, Ahaz would not make the all-star team of what God intended for his people or the kings of his people. But we see here in Isaiah chapter 7 verses 1 to 9, the call of God on Ahaz, which is to trust him. The call of God on Ahaz, which is for him to trust God. Now Ahaz, this 20-year-old king, finds himself in a very interesting situation. There are two other nations that are coming to attack him. They're coming to attack the people of God, and they're coming to take over the city of Jerusalem. And Ahaz and his people are rightly scared. Look with me at verse 2. It says, When the house of David was told, Syria is in league with Ephraim, the heart of Ahaz and the heart of his people shook as the trees of the forest shake before the winds. Now, I don't know if you've ever watched the Weather Channel or maybe the news when there's a hurricane coming, but I can picture what you see on the screen when the wind is blowing and the rain's coming and the meteorologist is trying to be a little dramatic and he's standing there and you can see the palm trees in the back bending to the wind. And that is the description that Isaiah gives of the heart of King Ahaz and his people. They were scared that the enemy was coming and they were about to mount an attack on them. And it is in the midst of this fear, it's in the midst of this impending attack that Isaiah comes and brings God's message to Ahaz. Isaiah is a prophet or a messenger of God and I wanna point out four specific messages that God gives to Ahaz in these first nine verses. In the midst of the fear that Ahaz was experiencing, look with me in verse 4. God's message to Ahaz was to be careful, be quiet, do not fear, and do not let your heart be faint because of the two smoldering stumps of firebrands. Or some other translations say two smoldering stumps of firewood. Now, Ahaz is scared, right? His heart, like if he was getting his heart rate tested at the doctor's office, his heart rate was pretty high. His anxiety was high because two nations are coming after him. Yet look what God says. These aren't suggestions. These are imperatives. These are commands. In the midst of his fear, he's supposed to be careful, be quiet, to not fear, and to not let his heart be faint. Now, I can just picture... Ahaz looking out in the distance and seeing the enemy, hearing the rumors that are coming and thinking, God, you're, you're describing these people as firewood? And this isn't like the firewood like you take your Christmas tree and months later put it on a bonfire and like the fire goes up. They're described as smoldering stumps. And I wonder if Ahaz is like, what are you talking about, God. But God gets even more specific down in verse 7. God tells Ahaz about the impending attacks that are coming towards him. God tells him, 
it shall not stand and it shall not come to pass. Some things that God says are super confusing and some things that God says are super clear. God tells Ahaz, it's not going to happen. This attack that you, you see the people out there, you hear the rumors, they're not going to, it's not going to come to pass. And then this section concludes in verse 9, at the second half of verse 9, God makes a statement, if you are not firm in faith, you will not be firm at all. God tells Ahaz, these enemies are not going to take you out. Have faith in me or you're not going to stand at all. And this leaves Ahaz really with only two options. Is Ahaz going to trust the words of God? Will he trust the message that God gave him? Or will he trust himself? Will he trust God? Or will he do in this situation? Will he try to fix his situation on his own and seek another way to defend his city from the appending doom that is coming upon them? As I'm thinking about these two options that Ahaz had, I was realizing that these are really the same two options that you and I have. Are we going to trust the word of God or are we going to trust ourselves? Are you and I going to trust what God reveals to us in scripture or are we going to look for answers to our situations within ourselves? For instance, do we believe what 1 John 1, 9 says, that if you confess your sin, God is faithful and just to forgive you your sin and purify you from all unrighteousness. Do you believe that? Or do you lay in bed at night wondering if God could actually love you? Do we believe when we watch the news, both globally, nationally, and even locally, and it looks like the world is in chaos, and the reason it looks like the world is in chaos is because the world is in chaos. But do we trust the word of God? What it says in Proverbs 21, that the king's heart is like a stream of water in the hand of the Lord, that he moves it any way he wants it to go. Do we trust what God's word says about that? Or do we live crippled in anxiety and fear? Or last, we know that for God's people, we are promised suffering. For God's people globally and for those of us in this room, suffering is either in front of us, behind us, or we're currently in a season of suffering. And do we trust God's word in 1 Peter 5 that God cares for you? God doesn't only know the suffering you're going through, but he cares for you in the midst of your suffering. Do we believe that? Ahaz had two options. Would he trust the word of God or would he trust himself? And we have two options. Will we trust the word of God and what it says for our lives or will we trust ourselves? thought it was fascinating that Barner Research claims that 88% of American homes own a Bible. 
It's almost you could drive down your street and count and nine out of 10 homes would own a Bible in America. But I wonder what percentage of homes in America trust what's within the Bible and trust the God who wrote the words that are within the pages of that book. In Isaiah chapter seven, verses one to nine, we see the call of God is that Ahaz was called to trust him. But then this text takes a shift in verse 10. You'll see in verse 10, it starts with the word again. It's almost like in the first nine verses, Isaiah comes to him and brings a message from God and takes one swing. And then in verse 10, it's like he takes a second swing and gives a second message to him. And in verses 10 to 16, we see the sign of God. And the sign of God is hope in the midst of sin. Hope in the midst of sin. Look with me at verse 10. Again, the Lord spoke to Ahaz. And again, this was through Isaiah the prophet. Verse 11. Ask a sign of the Lord your God. Let it be deep as Sheol or high as heaven. But Ahaz said, I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to test. Now again, this is an interesting command. This isn't a suggestion that God gives to Ahaz. He tells him, ask a sign from the Lord. The reason likely that God said this is he was trying to give Ahaz a sign to confirm that his word was going to come to pass. He already told Ahaz what was going to happen, but he gives him an opportunity to ask not for a small sign, but a big sign, as deep as Sheol or as high as the heaven. Ask for a sign and I'll make it come to pass. And now it seems, it seems to us like Ahaz gives a good religious answer, right? I will not ask and I will not put the Lord to the test. But what we realize when we fit the Bible together is that this was false piety. Ahaz was almost being like a Pharisee in the New Testament. We know from this other passage in 2 Kings 16, which runs parallel to Isaiah chapter 7, that when he tells God that, you know what, God, I don't want to put you to the test. Actually, what he's telling God is, I don't trust that you are going to fulfill what your word says you're going to do. And what we know from 2 Kings chapter 16 is Ahaz, instead of trusting the word of the Lord, goes to the Assyrians and asks for help. Listen to this. Uh, 2 Kings 16, you don't need to turn there. We're just going to look at two verses. 2 Kings 16 verse 7 so Ahaz sent messengers to the king of Assyria, saying, I am your servant and your son. Come up and rescue me from the hand of the king of Syria and from the hand of the king of Israel who are attacking me. So although it looks like Ahaz is being religious, although it looks like he's, he's saying, you know what, God, I don't want to put you to the test. I would never want to do that. At the same time, he's speaking out of the other side of his mouth and he goes to the Assyrians and he asks for help. And he doesn't only ask for help from the Assyrians, 
He actually goes into the household of God, takes silver and gold, and uses that to plead his case to this pagan nation. Ahaz did not trust the word of God. Now, before we do what I usually do, and I think we historically do as Christians when we read the Old Testament, a lot of times we read what God's people do and we're like, why did they do this? Like, don't they realize by now they should just follow God's plans rather than their own plans? Like Ahaz, why didn't you learn from like your relatives? But isn't this what you and I do every single day? Isn't this what you and I do when we know what God's word calls us to do? And instead of trusting that God knows what he's talking about, instead we follow our own hearts and choose to follow our own ways rather than God's ways. We are reminded here that Ahaz and each of us are all sinners who fall short of the glory of God. But let's not miss what God is doing in this middle section of verses in chapter 7. God commands Ahaz to give him a sign. And although Ahaz refuses, although Ahaz uh, has false religion and false piety, God decides to give him a sign anyways. And this reminds us that God gives us what is best even when it's not what we ask for. God gives you what is best, even when it's not what you ask for. And look with me at verse 14. In the previous verses, Ahaz refuses to get a sign from the Lord, but God decides that he's going to give a sign anyways. And verse 14 says this, Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And that you there is plural. He wasn't just talking to Ahaz. He was talking to the whole nation. Therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and you shall call his name Emmanuel. God says, Ahaz, you don't want a sign, so I won't give you a sign. I'll give the whole nation a sign. And it's that the virgin will conceive a son and bear a child named Emmanuel. Now, theologians have a lot of speculation about what this verse means. There's a lot of disagreement about what it means that the virgin is going to have a son. And a lot of theologians have tried to figure out who that son was, how that was possible, and how it fit in the timeline. But one principle I've said before, and I, I teach our students and college students, is when something is confusing in the Bible, we start in what is clear, and then we work in the mud, rather than work in the mud and go out to what is clear. So as we try to figure out what this means, that the virgin will conceive a son, and they shall bear his name, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, first, we remember what we know about God that God is always faithful to his promises. God is always faithful to his word. And way back in the book of Genesis, God promised Abraham that if he would have faith in God, that his descendants would outnumber the stars of the sky and the sand of the seashore. 
And we know that even though Ahaz and his people were about to be judged for their sin, that God would always keep a remnant. God would always keep a remnant of his people because there is hope even in the darkness. So as we think about this, a couple weeks ago when Pastor Marty started this series in the book of Isaiah, he read Isaiah chapter 1. He read the whole chapter for us. And in the middle of Isaiah chapter 1 verse 8, it refers to the daughter of Zion. And Zion is a, is a term for uh, the city of God, Jerusalem, but also for God's people. And one theologian writes, this quote will be up here on the screen, the best option is to see the virgin in the first instance as a figure for the daughter of Zion and to understand her son as the faithful remnant who will emerge from her sufferings. In other words, this sign that God was going to give all the people, the sign that he was going to give to his people is even though judgment is coming, because Ahaz is despicable and he doesn't trust my words. Even though that judgment is coming, he's saying, I will keep a remnant that will keep my people going beyond this current judgment. Another clue for why I think that this is the correct interpretation is look with me up at verse 3. It's interesting. The son that would be born of a virgin, that's the second son mentioned in this chapter. The first son mentioned in this chapter is very quickly, it's almost like a side comment, but look with me at verse 3. It says, And the Lord said to Isaiah, Go out and meet Ahaz, you and Shear Jashub, your son. Now we read that and we're like, that's interesting. God could have sent Isaiah alone, but instead he sent him with his son. That's nice, like a little father-son time, bonding time. But there was something more going on there. When I read the name Sheer Jashub, the first thing that comes to mind is that's likely not going to be on the top 10 list in 2022 for names of sons. However, many of your Bibles probably have a little letter, if you look down at your Bible, or a little number right at the end of his name, Jashub. And if you look down at the bottom, most of your Bibles will interpret that Hebrew for you. And they'll let us know that the name Sheer Jashub means a remnant shall return or a remnant shall remain. So even though judgment was about to come on God's people because the king, King Ahaz, would not trust God's word, God says, I'm going to give you a sign. Destruction is coming. People are going to die. It's going to be dark. But there is hope because I will keep a remnant to keep my name going throughout all generations. Because the promise that he gave Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12 is a promise that God would be faithful to and he is still faithful to today. And boy, oh boy, does judgment come or what? This last section we see here, verses 17 to 25, is not the call of God or the sign of God, these last few verses are the actions of God, which is his powerful and holy judgment. The action of God. Powerful and holy judgment. 
And this is where we see the different chapters of Isaiah. That's why I love that we're just going chapter by chapter through Isaiah. This is where we see chapter six and chapter seven fit together like a chain that cannot be broken. Last week when Pastor Dan preached chapter six to us, he began by explaining in chapter six in the very beginning of that chapter how powerful God was. How God is seated on his throne high and lifted up. And how the only word that the angels could describe him with is holy. And not just once, but holy, holy, holy. And that's why we see here in this judgment, this judgment was not just random, it was not just reckless, it was powerful, and it was holy. And God did this in a very unique way. Remember earlier in the sermon, we talked about how Ahaz could have followed and trusted the word of God, but instead he went to the Assyrians. Instead, he went to the pagan nation and he, he tried to get them to help, thinking, I see two enemies out there. Maybe the Assyrians can help me. Well, that's the very nation God chose to use to judge his people. And God turned the Assyrians on his people. Look with me. Look with me at verse 17. It says, the Lord will bring upon you and upon your people and upon your father's house such days as have not come since the day that Ephraim departed from Judah, the king of Assyria. And let's not miss this connection between chapter 7 and chapter 6. The reason God needed to judge his people is because God is holy. He is pure. And when people sinned in Ahaz's day, they deserve judgment. And so God needed to judge them, and they, he used the Assyrians to judge them. And when people sin today, because God is holy, we deserve judgment, and judgment will come. And we see here that this is God. God is the one who is doing this judgment. Like, look with me quickly at the beginning of verse 18. Notice it doesn't give credit to the Assyrians. It says in verse 18 that in that day, the Lord will. Or look with me in verse 20. It says, in that day, the Lord will. This judgment that God was bringing was intentional. And he was doing it in all power. The same God who Pastor Dan described last week in chapter 6 is the same God here who is described as whistling. And the countries of Egypt and Assyria follow. I mean, they're described as bees and flies. I mean, just think of that imagery. Hey, Egypt. Go judge my people. Assyria, go judge my people. Unless you're a powerful God, you can't do that. And we're reminded here how serious God takes sin. We see four times, and we're not going to go through those, in verse 18, in that day. In verse 20, in that day. In verse 21, in that day. And in verse 23, in that day. God took judgment seriously. And God takes judgment seriously today. 
However, even in the midst of judgment, God is always faithful to his word and his promises. Even in the midst of judgment, God is always faithful to his word and to his promises. Back to the trading card for a moment. Pretend like this isn't Michael Jordan on here and instead it's King Ahaz. We remember that like we wouldn't have a picture of him on the front because we don't know what he looked like. But on the back, now we have some information that we could add so that we could know a little bit more about him and the statistics that he did when he was performing as king. And they were not very good. However, this is not the last time that King Ahaz is mentioned in the Bible. I want you to turn with me quickly as we end this morning. Turn with me quickly to Matthew chapter 1. To the Gospel of Matthew chapter 1. As you turn there, if you're, not very, if you're pretty new to learning the Bible, it's about two-thirds of the way through your Bible, or just keep turning, and if you get to Mark, you went too far. But this is not the last time that King Ahaz has his name mentioned in the Bible. This is definitely trading card worthy. In Matthew chapter 1, we see the genealogy of Jesus. Some of us, when we try to begin reading through the New Testament, we just skip the genealogy and we go to chapter 2. The reason I know we do this is I just did that myself. But we must not skip the genealogy because it's in the genealogy we learn the family of Jesus. And look with me at verse 9. In verse 9, we see the kings that are mentioned in Isaiah. And it says in Matthew chapter 1, verse 9, And Uzziah was the father of Jotham, and Jotham the father of Ahaz, and Ahaz the father of Hezekiah. Even though Ahaz was evil, and his sin not only deserved judgment, but brought judgment upon him and all the people, God still preserved that remnant after him. And that remnant didn't only go one generation and then die. That remnant went the whole way until one day, Jesus Christ, God's son, would be born. God brought hope out of the midst of judgment. But that's also not the last time we see Isaiah chapter 7 mentioned here in Matthew chapter 1. Look with me, look with me at verse 21. This is in the dream that Joseph is having after he finds out that the woman who he's pledged to marry is going to be pregnant and have a son. And an angel comes to him in a dream. And this is what the angel says in Matthew 1, 21. She will bear a son... And you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel. And Matthew makes sure that all of his readers know what that means, which means God with us. 
Ahaz denied the word of God and did not ask for a sign. And God gave his whole people a sign anyways. The sign was a remnant would stay. Although judgment is coming, not all people will be destroyed. And then that sign would ultimately be fulfilled in the birth of Jesus Christ. Jesus was born of the Virgin Mary and lived a sinless life and eventually would die on a cross for you and me. So this leaves us this morning with the gospel, with the good news of Jesus Christ. Make no mistake, just like Ahaz was a sinner, as I mentioned earlier, you and I are sinners. If you're not sure if you're a sinner or not, just ask the person sitting next to you. But God has been faithful to his word, preserved a remnant of people in Jerusalem, and continues to preserve a remnant today. And ultimately, because that baby grew and paid the penalty that you and I deserve because of our sins, by dying on a cross and rising again, if we put our faith and trust in him, while repenting from our sins, we can have eternal life. And so we end this morning similar to how Pastor Marty ended two weeks ago. Ultimately, there's only two decisions we have here. There's only two ways to live. Will you trust God's word today by putting your faith and trust in God's son, Jesus Christ? Or will you be like Ahaz and trust yourself and try to fix your sin on your own. Friends, I hope we pick option one. Praise be to God that he sent his son, Jesus Christ, to save us from his sins, our sins. Would you pray with me? God, we are so thankful as we sang earlier in the service that your mercy is more that though our sins are many, your mercy outnumbers our sins and we are so grateful. And Father, I pray that you would give us the strength by your power to believe in your son, Jesus Christ, rather than try to fix our sin problem on our own. God, I pray for those in this room who have yet to put their trust in Jesus. I pray that you would open their eyes to the truth of the gospel. And God, I pray this morning for those of us who are saved that you would grow us to look more like your son, Jesus Christ. And it's in his name we pray, amen.